Hello and welcome to another episode of The Imprint Companion, the podcast about physical media, those beautiful discs that we celebrate that are released by Imprint Films, a wonderful Australian boutique Blu-ray label releasing some fantastic movies for the home video market. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and joining me as always to talk about the beautiful physical form that media takes it is Blake Howard. Oh, speaking of beautiful forms, it is a pleasure to see your beautiful form through the digital landscape right now as we touch this physical media, Lex. It's so good to mm-hmm. be back talking imprint. We've got we're still playing catch up because we were just absolutely slaughtered. But I feel like so many people need to know about this because in the glut of Christmas releases and mm-hmm. end of year releases and even the beginning of this year, it's like, what did I miss? What am I doing? People are still playing catch up. So I think it's a good time for us to talk about the Desombre batch of imprint films, which has some bangers in it. It has some really interesting bangers. We got, like you said, a bit of a glut of stuff towards the end of the year that kind of intersected with, obviously, the busy period for everybody around. But I think, like you said, we're providing a service for people to catch up, for people to find things that they might have missed. Perhaps birthdays are coming up soon where these can still be considered as gifts. Uh, But we've got a really nice batch. We're going to be covering the December batch of films plus... Before we get into that batch, perhaps I can kick things off by talking about Imprint Films' first 4K UHD release. Yes, please do. Well, this will decide the fate of civilization. All humanity, whether we live or die, may depend on what happens here. Attention, please. Four minutes to bomb time. There must be a couple of million people back of us in the shelter of the San Gabriel Hills, waiting. Waiting to find out whether they can go home again. Everywhere all around the world, people have been driven from their homes. Direct cable communication is being maintained with Washington. But there's no radio at all. Not even with the bombing plane that's coming over. All radio is dead. Which means that these tape recordings are making are for the sake of future history, if any, if any. We're going all the way back to Spine Number 1, the first imprint film, which was War of the Worlds, the original 1950s adaptation of the H.G. Wells book. We talked about it all the way back on our very first episode of The Imprint Companion. If you want a more in-depth talk about the film, but I thought I would just talk about this little release for a bit because we were lucky enough to get our hands on it. It is a limited edition and it is a different kind of packaging, different kind of box to celebrate this release uh, that Imprint have put together. We've got a steel book release of the film, uh, which just looks absolutely beautiful. This great, oh, clean stunning. steel book. Stunning. It also comes with a booklet filled with like information, your pictures, lots of kind of like essay interview type things. It's a little bit slim, but the package is beautiful and it mm-hmm. contains so many like beautiful concept images for this like wonderful sci-fi creation. It's a really, really nice, small, slim booklet. And it's all sh- housed in a hard case with a lenticular cover featuring those iconic flying saucers from this movie. I think this is a really beautiful release. It's like the actual packaging probably the best shit imprint has ever put together i think (laughs) it's so lovely 
But I also really love this film. We talked about it in depth earlier uh, when we first kicked off this podcast. And I think the UHD, that looks great. I think it looks really fantastic. It's a nice upgrade. And I think it's a worthy film to make that jump with. Uh, for imprint to go back to their first one uh, with this new UHD 4K upgrade. Uh, I remember there was some chatter back when that release first came out because it coincided with Criterion's release of the film. Yes. There was some difference between the uh, prints that both of them were using. I think both prints look really beautiful. The main point of contention around them that in the Criterion release, the color of Mars is red corrected to be red <laughs> but then in print paramount uh print mars is blue and i just think that's something that doesn't really bother me at all but i know <laughs> some people have some uh question about it i don't know if there's a correct version or not but it's not been something that's really bothered me so i think this 4k uhd upgrade looks sensational it sounded great on my system as well and I think it would be the one out of all the releases for imprint that I would really get something exciting out of a 4K UHD release, especially with the print that they have currently. Uh, they put the only other ones that I'm kind of... They, they put a big investment hmm. in that 4K transfer. So when they actually made the Blu-ray that we talked about on the very hmm. first imprint companion, it was they'd spent a lot of money at the time upgrading and at that stage the release plan was always going to that was be a blu-ray but so they've had it they've had this incredible transfer that's had a great deal of work on it sort of sitting on the shelf and when you look back over everything that they've ever done it's like the big challenge that i find personally and you and i are like connoisseurs of 4k it's like unless Mm. the work has really been done on the actual transfer to upgrade it, to clean it up, to, to, to get it into that kind of Dolby vision and Dolby, you know, sound sort of um, mm. uh, kind of curated version of it. It doesn't always come off. Like you kind of sometimes get it and you're like, this doesn't look that much better than a Blu-ray. And especially if you've got a great setup, mm. like I know that you and I do, unless it's something that's like gorgeous, you know, some of the recent ones we've talked about, like uh, get Carter from the BFI looks fantastic on 4k the -hmm. drive 4k um absolutely fantastic you know you you sort of there are ones out there that have been optimized and upgraded the battle royale 4k sensational um Mm -hmm. but sometimes they just kind of go like oh that's okay like running man again a great part of the collection great to have yeah but it's also like you know some of the special effects and stuff just it doesn't look that much better than Blu-ray other than it's really clear and clean. But if you've got a great setup, it doesn't not worth it. But war of the worlds by the sounds of things, you know, is, is very sexy. I haven't had a chance to check this one out yet, but I'm excited that we've got it in our, in our hot little hands to uh, take a look at. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just looking through our previous imprint films that we've covered on the podcast, just to see if there's any others that I think would really make a nice leap ahead or look really stunning in 4K. The ones that I'm kind of thinking of are Dersu Uzala, the Akira Kurosawa number one. Uh, Russian 100%. film. I think that would be probably my number one. Then maybe uh, Place in the Sun, The Duelists, and pff, God, a Zhang Yimou film dare I even put it out there into the world would look beautiful a night to remember the Titanic film but I think my two that I'm tying for number one actually might be 
the Michael Cimino film, Year of the Dragon, that we yeah. covered with Mickey Raw, because yes. I think that neon lights would look would be really beautiful in absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And that movie is freaking wild. So it would look so amazing in that. But like like you said, I think you nailed it with Dozu Azala. If I was saying what that my top film of this entire collection mm-hmm. would be to go on there, it's Dozu Azala. That film as a 4K release, stunning beyond belief. <laughs> And one more, dare I say it, because I think I've already been lucky enough to receive the edition that I dreamed of my whole life. But a 4K Warriors, come on, that's heaven to me to see those (laughs) kind of rain-soaked streets lit up in freaking beautiful All the the characters, all the gangs, all the characters, all the gangs, all Mm -hmm. the the blood, the gore, the physicality. Yeah, that'll be a sexy release. Any of those Walter Hills, those classic 80s Walter Hills and get the grit and the grime. Like, let's get it in all of its blistering clarity on our screen. Sexy. Oh, my God. Let me whisper into the ears (laughs) of people working at Imprint that might be listening, the driver in 4K. The (gasps) driver, Walter Hill, the driver in 4K. Just whispering it out into the ears there. Well, Blake, let's get into our December batch of films. It's a pretty packed batch. We got through quite a lot of the films in it as well. So why don't you kick us off with our first film, which will be another release from Sam Peckinpah. killer elite before i get to the back of the box this is one of the gigantic beautiful double box sets that has the hard cardboard cover and so many times we see that 1970s films like when there's like painted artwork usually get relegated to having terrible artwork but i love about these imprint collections from peck and is they like put multiple artworks multiple poster arts all Mm. through so you kind of get every conceivable option This double batch comes with not only the original theatrical cut, but it comes with an alternate theatrical cut because there were a couple kicking around as hats, as it happens with everything Sam Peckinpah. So I watched both of them over the time. Um, But here is what the back of the box says. Elite assassins, Mike Locken and George Hansen take on jobs too risky, even for the CIA to handle their best friends, superior marksmen, and on the A-list when it comes to killing. But when one high-powered hitman betrays another, the intrigue, the violence, and the thrills become more than just a dangerous game of who kills whom first. It becomes a very personal war. The killer elite, not to be confused with Clive Owen, Jason Statham, but this is in fact Jimmy Khan. And Robert De Niro, excuse me. Sorry, sorry. It's a three-hander killer elite. (laughs) Jimmy Khan, uh, Robert Duvall. I really had a lot of time for this movie. I have a lot of time for movies that take... Well, you watched it twice, two yeah, different well, versions. I, I watched two different versions <laughs> because I just... There's something about... I've been talking recently a couple of times with some friends, you know, cinephile friends about when a movie has you. And 
Mm. Early on in Killer Elite, it's kind of got you. There is a betrayal, and as it says on the back of the box, Jimmy Khan is betrayed by Robert Duvall, who's like his, you know, his partner in crime. They're kind of freelancers, if you like, for the CIA. And the moment that he's betrayed, the movie has me. And it takes these kind of languid, it's very languid. It kind of slows itself down. You're expecting all this intrigue and high, um, high intensity sort of action or whatever. And it sort of like takes a, a, a glacial pace with the entire thing. You're not exactly sure how it's going to go about what it's going to do, but it had me both times. It doesn't completely work, but man, I just miss a movie where like you have a guy that's injured. And then for the next two thirds of the movie, it's like him being recovering actually before he even gets back in the game, getting his skills up, acquiring new partners, coming back into the mix to kind of get his vengeance. And the movie just takes its time to do that at the steadiest pace possible. And I kind of really like that. And the big, the big thing about it is that Jimmy Khan and Duval play off of one another just so sensationally. You can just, their relationship is amazing. They're two of the iconic actors from the most iconic film of all time. And they're just playing off each other and they're great. And I had such a good time watching this. It's not my favorite Peck and Pa by any stretch of the imagination. It has a lot of flaws. It does get a little bit strange towards the end, especially as the mission sort of takes over um, the mm. language of the cinema that's being played. But everything that builds up to that ending, which kind of falls away a little bit for me, I had a really good time with. And I enjoyed checking it out because for the first time, it's one of those ones that I'd missed. Um, I only remember the De Niro, Clive Owen, Jason Statham movie and thinking, <laughs> oh God, I hate this movie so much. Please be better than yeah. this remake. And I really enjoyed it. What did Can you I ask, that Killer Elite, the one with De Niro and stuff, did you go see it at a premiere or like a screen? Yes. I reckon it might have been the first time you and I were ever in the same room together. <laughs> we just didn't meet for another 10 years. We didn't meet for Because like that was one years. of the first screenings I ever went to, like a, like a preview screen. screening, because yeah, yeah, I worked yeah. at Disney Channel at the time. And it was like a Disney Buena Vista release or whatever. And what did we both think when we walked out of the remake of Killer Elite? Were you killer? Oh, we would have been like best movie of the year. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, God, De Niro is back. And he brought Statham with him. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much with you on this one, Blake. My only point of difference would be that on a rewatch, I really think I could see this inching up my peck and par faves because I think for me, it is the best his humor has worked for me. He's got yeah. this really dry sense of humor. And I felt in this one, it helped build so much more of the excitement for me and it just elevated everything. I thought the humor was just like on point in this really kind of esoteric, dry way in this film. Because I think Khan is funny. I think Duval is funny. And I think that they just kind of like, it's almost like- And we got Burt Young in here. We got Burt Young. And it's just yeah, like, yeah, gallows, my, gallows humor. It is really weird because it's not even like Peckinpah's letting them loose, but I think it's just like allowing them to, I guess like have a couple of gags with each other and just kind of like, it's almost like this dry lightness that I kind of really dug in this movie. I actually found it quite thrilling. The cast beyond the ones that we've mentioned are really fantastic from like, Bo Hopkins, Mako's in this, Gig Young. Um, it is 
a really, really fun movie. And this is like such a packed box. This one wasn't even really on my radar before we got this box. Like I Peckinpah is just like not someone that I'm completely deeply familiar with beyond like the big hits. Uh, so I just really, I, I think I might've even loved this movie. It might be like <laughs> a top two Peckinpah for me eventually. Yes, it, I, I can totally see where you're coming from. And for me, it's all about the believability of the relationship and the the visceral betrayal. Like when these two mm. guys betray each other and then they put it on a collision course to come, to come head to head at the end. I'm like, this is good. Cause you actually believe it. Like so many movies have to try so hard and all the magic that we have behind these two guys coming back together and how natural they are together. Like there's something great chemistry. That's why I think I put it on twice and watched both versions. Cause I was just like, you know what? I want to, I want to see more Duval and Jimmy Khan together. Like I'll, I'll take I'll take the hour and a half, just mm. have it on in the office while I'm doing other stuff or whatever. But uh, yeah, I had a really great time with, with this one. And I think it's, I mean, all the peck and par boxes, if you're a peck and par guy or even a fringe peck and par guy, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to get this. Like it's, it's the, everything just makes it so, so beautiful. And they always come stacked like this one on the original theatrical cut. We've got audio commentaries by Mike Siegel, who's a Peckinpah expert. He was a big part of the Osterman weekend curation and got the famous mm. Peckinpah exclusive Osterman cut that was on the previous edition. Film historians, uh, Paul Sato, Garner Simmons, and Nick Redman were on the other. And then you've got featurettes called Passion and the Poetry, the Passion and Poetry Project. So again, Mike Siegel has kind of dedicated his life to Peckinpah um, uh, and, and bringing his entire body of work to physical media now so that it's kind of be, can be curated. And I think he's just doing a brilliant job. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of this box and everyone who was involved in making it. Yeah. Blake, before we move on to our next film, I got to ask, because you've done both, which cut would you recommend for people to start with or if you think one feels more definitive than the other because whenever i've got two cuts you know that's exactly what i'm googling to figure out what to watch for the first time i i didn't i you know and there's probably you know there's definitely a site that'll tell you exactly what the differences are but i didn't feel tonally a massive difference between either cut like one is an alt so there's like a little a few additional like expansive things but i would say the original theatrical cut's fine not not bad at all like it's probably close it's not like this is not a director's definitive cut or something that was like taken away from him maybe it was a bit of you know influence at the time but this feels like very clear the the vision is clear it's this like microcosmic relationship at the beginning this expansive recovery and then getting back into the biz um so i kind of like the theatrical cut like if i was going to put it back on again i would just throw it straight on Nice. Okay, that's what we've got. The theatrical cut is the go-to recommendation. We'll be right back after this quick break. I think next up, Blake, you watched a film that I didn't fully get to completely watch. So I'd love to hear more of your thoughts about the Marlon Brando starring historical epic Burn! With an exclamation point. Without you, nothing will ever be done. It's finished here. I wasn't aware that anything had started. You filthy thief, you did steal my bags, didn't you? See, but the Portuguese are coming. They will be here at any moment. I am sorry it happens here. 
here in your village. But we can't let the soldiers take us. Is that why we stole the gold? To die up here? Or to be rich? Live as free men. What do you say, Jose? Why did we steal the gold? Burn, both visually and narratively stunning, Kimara glows with the fires of filmmaking genius. Genius is also evident in Marlon Brando's complex, intelligent portrayal of a man who is both a gentleman and a scoundrel, revolutionary and a colonialist. Now, this is a really bad back-of-the-box description of what this movie actually is. It's what it is. It's a it's a film about colonialism and it was originally an Italian film. It's kind of like a spaghetti mm -hmm. colonial epic. If you like uh, Gillo Pontecorvo is in a, uh, the acclaimed director. He made the battle of Algiers. Some folks out there might know that. Mm -hmm. And he uses burn and it has a great NMR corny score, by the way. Um, he uses burn to sort of examine this character played by Brando, a British kind of fixer for colonials. He goes in and he kind of helps um, out these huge companies like your sugar companies in this instance to maintain peace with the locals and just sort of maintain their colonial power, whatever the local government is, whatever the interests are that are external. The first part of the film is Brando going to maintain order for this English sugar interest. And he kind of overthrows the existing government that is down in um, uh, in it's, it's actually shot in Colombia, but it doubles basically for, um, it, it's, it's doubling for like a, a colonial, uh, Caribbean setting. Um, and so they send him down, he becomes a bit of an agent provocateur. It's a Portuguese country and he's, he starts an uprising with the enslaved Africans in that country. And it helps to overflow the overthrow the government to interests that are going to better serve him. And then the movie splits in two, 10 years later, he comes back and the man that kind of like who he emboldens to become the leader of this movement played by Evaristo Marquez, um, Jose Dolores, becomes this leader who the new government cannot get out because he's kind of sparked rebellion with him. And I really like this movie. There's two versions here. There's the original Italian cut where it's all, all dubbed over with Italian. And then there's the export cut, which is the one that I watched in this box set. And what I have to say about not only the filmmaking, but just the the ethos of it is it's like this scathing look at colonial manipulation. It just shows that greed fuels everything and that puppet governments happen. And when you're talking about the history of South America and colonial powers, whether that's America or UK or Spain or Portugal, it really just shows that they get these agent provocateurs in to agitate to create discord. And then what I love about this movie, it's kind of like unashamed. Like Brando is not the hero of this movie. In fact, at the beginning, he's kind of like mm. heroic and he has this heroic tone. But as it goes on, you show that he's just this kind of like wherever the paycheck is, is where his morality is. And so I really like, I was transfixed by Burn. I had a great time. I started watching it and I was a bit passive on the beginning. But as the movie flips... And you go back 10 years later and you see the fingerprints of this rebellion that he has started and how, how embedded it is and how emboldened the, the, the enslaved people are there. You can start to see that like, there's this vicious cycle of these agent provocateurs who go down there and do it. They embolden a rebellion and then they have to squash it because ultimately they're trying to get their own freedom. And I, I think it's great politically, very savvy, very on top of it. And, um, 
you know, a movie that you watch now and it doesn't feel like it's gross or, or, or exploitative. It feels like it's kind of bold and you can totally see why out of time people are like, Oh, I don't know about this. Um, because it's just mm. a bit too emboldening of that perspective. Um, and that kind of rampant colonial evil. And I, I, I think it was excellent. And I think Brando was terrific in it. And, uh, Evaristo Marquez, who plays Jose Dolores is sensational, like a beautiful glacial actor, across from Brando who's standing toe to toe and they're obviously speaking in different languages or barely speaking English or barely speaking Italian to one another or Portuguese or whatever the case may be. But it's, um, I had a really good time with this one, Lex. I thought it was a great, great epic about the evils of colonialism. Far out. I might have to give it a better watch because that sounds like such a bold film (laughs) and truly like it's one of those surprise releases where it's like such a fascinating release that they've put a lot of work into, I guess the thing that we always appreciate when imprint does like putting the context around the film as well. Yeah. uh, Like this, this set, which has, it's talking a little bit about Brando's wilderness years that I like to call them, you know, um, you know, 62 to 72 where he's kind of in the wilderness from Hollywood it's got a little bit more uh, about that, but there is um, a great, um, there's a great interview with a film historian called, uh, the film historian's name is Ivalice Pernolia, and it's called Of mm. Oppressors and Oppressed. And that is like the best feature on this disc. Like I would totally watch this again. Brando, I think is terrific and just like effortlessly great in this. And I just, the two-handed nature of this movie, one being this like emboldening rebellion and then squashing is everything. Like, and the, the crescendo of the movie without spoiling it, I just, it just put it, took it over the top for me. I was like, I love, I, I love how strong and, and crisp this ending is. And it just made me want to actually watch it again. It was a big surprise to me in this batch. Unreal. Well, let's move from one epic to another historical epic. We're going to be talking about Spine 193. It is a movie known as The Eagle Has Landed. September 12, 1943. German paratroopers snatch Mussolini from his mountaintop prison in Italy. The event stuns the world. Inspired by the rescue of his ally, Hitler orders an even more daring bid to capture his greatest enemy. The explosive events of Jack Higgins' international bestseller, now seen as they happened in a film of epic suspense, The Eagle Has Landed. I want you to go to England for me. Well, I barely know you. To assist in the kidnapping and safe return to Germany of Winston Churchill. The mission, to seize Churchill at the moment when danger is least expected. Now. A man to lead it, Carl. Oberst Kurt Steiner, commanding the 12th Parachute Detachment. Late autumn 1943, the secret invasion of England begins. What the hell's going on, Haley? Damn if I know. Now calm down, Pepper. I don't know what's happening. Colonel, man, please, man. They're not Polish. They're Germans. What? Now this Churchill business. Our feeling once seen through. If anything happens to Churchill because you're late, this country's gonna swing you from Big Ben by your Suddenly the peace of an English village is shattered by German paratroopers. What if Churchill prefers to die? What if abduction 
becomes assassination. A race against time to save Britain's war leader. Get the men in position. Don't let anyone out of the village, and once anyone comes in, they stay in. A soldier of fortune, whose one weakness is the woman he loves. What catch you? You don't know the first thing about me. Because if you did, you'd know that I much prefer warm autumn afternoon under the pines. A girl whose love is about to be betrayed. It may not win the war, but it would make them think about a negotiated peace. I never betrayed anything in my life that I believed in. They're going to try and kill Churchill. The time has come, Mr. Devlin, when I no longer control events. They control me. Go there! Go, Mallory! The most exciting adventure story of World War II. Millions have read the book. Now an international cast brings dramatically to life on the screen this epic story of Hitler's desperate attempt to change the course of history. Stunning, exciting, inspiring, a film you must not miss. The Eagle Has Landed. The Eagle Has Landed from 1976, directed by John Sturges, when the Nazi High Command learns in late 1943 that Winston Churchill will be spending time at a country estate in Norfolk. It hatches an audacious scheme to kidnap the Prime Minister and spirit him to Germany for enforced negotiations with Hitler. This is a movie, Blake, I'd been familiar with. I'm pretty sure I had seen it at least a couple of times before because this is one of those movies my mother is really loves, which is such a surprise. My <laughs> mom likes war movies a lot more than I do. Oh, I mentioned I this, this to my older relatives at my auntie's birthday. And I said, oh, mm. she, she, we were talking about everyone around the table this everyone's like talking about tv that they've been watching oh have you seen this show yep. you've seen that and i go actually this week i watched burn <laughs> i was like this week mm-hmm. i watched burn the killer elite and the eagle has landed and my auntie whose birthday it was my auntie Therese, was just like oh with robert duvall michael Caine." and i'm like yeah good movie huh and she's like yeah love that movie i haven't seen it in donkey's age i'm like well it's out on imprint right now you can get it and she was like a big fan of this thing it is such an A-list star-stacked cast. Michael Caine, Donald Sutherland, Robert Duvall, Jenny Agata, and Donald Pleasance are kind of like the key yeah. cast or the kind of uh, the killer elite of this film, if you will. <laughs> uh, this is an odd little movie. I mean, it's not little. It's quite big. Like It's, it's, a, it's kind massive. Of, it's an action explosive uh, man on a mission film. But I think what m- this film represents to me is it's something that's more fascinating than it is successful. And especially this release, we've got two cuts. One's an extended cut, which runs two and a half hours compared to the theatrical cut with two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, it's I'm not really quite sure if I've ever really seen anything quite like it because it is that men on a mission film, but... Oddly, unlike any other Men on a Mission film, is the leads and the people that you are following, which I think technically makes them the protagonists, (laughs) uh, and they are all played by your favorite actors of all time, (laughs) are playing the Nazis, the villains, who you watching the movie you can't even align with because it's not like they're good working from within the nazis to bring them down from the inside this is not valkyrie it's It's not valkyrie right it's not valkyrie and i think that's going in i had expectation that would be a little bit more like valkyrie where it would be like someone from the inside trying to bring down the nazi establishment these are 
literal Nazis on a mission from high up. And it's really weird because I guess you are watching to hopefully see the men on the mission unwind and to be thwarted. There's like kind of as the audience, what you want to happen, but then the heroes on the American side and the English side are bordering on bumbling. Like it's just a really, really strange, fascinating movie. And it is, they are completely bumbling on the American side. It's actually like part of it is this hilarious, um, you know, this hilarious, like ham fisted, Oh, they're taking me out. They're doing this. And you see all these different characters like Larry Hagman, who famously is Mm. from I dream of genie, like is exactly that he's the bumbling guy. And then you got treat Williams, who's kind of this young up and coming, who's kind of cover up. Larry Hagman, Colonel Clarence E. Pitts is his character's name, trying to cover mm-hmm. up his nonsense and like his bad handling of all of this mission. And it feels like so perilous because you're like, England's this tiny island that is potentially going to be invaded from all sides. It needs to be monitored constantly. The allied effort is there trying to stop the Nazi encroachment and it's actually coming in and, and getting England. Um, you know, they're right on the French shores at this stage. And so, yeah, it's really fascinating. And, the other thing I love about it, although it's like a weird thing, is Donald Sutherland plays mm. a character who's an Irish revolutionary who is allied with the Nazis and is like a double agent because he's like English oppressive rule means that I'm just going to go with someone who screws over England. That's what I'm going to mm. do. And it kind of becomes this like big precursor to some of the political discord that was probably happening at the time that this movie was produced between England and, and Ireland in its, in the late seventies. And you're like, wow, this is like a really amazing insight into how, uh, how it's not all like all the allies against the good guys versus the bad guys. It's, it's kind of really strange. And mm. it even goes as you said, Michael Caine plays Colonel Kurt Steiner, who's a um, mm-hmm. who sounds exactly like Michael Caine, and uh, he, yeah. he he's a um, he's a soldier who's like a, a um a parachuter who comes back, and you get to see this like weird moment where he has a piece of morality at like a Nazi camp, a Nazi death camp with uh, with with a whole bunch of Jewish prisoners, and so the movie is really trying to address that that discord in that more Valkyrie way of like people weren't all just these kind of like rabid followers of Hitler, mm. but yeah, it's a weird one, but it's so big and it's so exciting. And it's I was like, huge. I was like, you, they don't make movies like this. It's really strange. I think this is something that imprint does really well is that they, you know, imprint primarily release like studio films. This is like a big studio film. I think them putting like this big addition together with like all this context around it, I think makes this such a fascinating film. Like that's what I really appreciate about this because it is so weird. I'm left with so many questions. This release is all about trying to and endeavor to answer those questions that you have watching this movie now in 2023. It's so weird because it's like this big studio movie shot by John Sturges. It, I'll be honest, it's pretty flatly directed by John Sturges. Yeah. And I feel like in context, if you think about 1976, this might have felt pretty ancient even then. Watching it now, you're like, I can't even align it with 1976 if it weren't for the cast. Yeah, like you're looking across, it's the the most exciting actors, like are the three key leads here, the most exciting actors with Kane, Duval, and Sutherland. 
And then it does have people like Anthony Quayle and Donald Pleasance, and they feel like the throwbacks. They're from like another era. Mm -hmm. And Larry Hagman, like casting American TV actors as American. Uh, I think it's like a big weird mm. commentary on that. So it feels very conflicted, like politically ambivalent. It almost like as it's going as far as to be like a, almost a Hoven like in its political ambivalence yeah. of America's role in the war. And it's really strange. And, and yeah, I, I kind of was like, it's a, a word you use sometimes when we get some of these great releases and go back and have all this context is like a curio. I'm like, this is such a curio. Like, it's so mm, weird. It's almost such like, a curiosity. Yeah. Like, it's like, did they have this script in a vault for 20 years before they, someone allowed them to make it? And they thought, okay, the seventies feels like a time we can be bold and we can go on the side of the Nazis. Like, I feel like that, that hook would have gotten a lot of people along to see this thing. Yeah, it's really weird. There's so many great features across these two discs. Uh, I love that the Eagle has landed. The official font is identical to the Wayne's World font. I think that <laughs> kind of rocks. It's so weird. And also, I just want to point out the amount of work that Imprint did to get this onto the shelf. There is a special detachable slip cover on the front of the box that you can take off to reveal that so the swastika is not being put on the JB Hi-Fi shelves. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> it's a pretty freaking thoughtful release. I'm glad that I've got this one. I'm glad I could watch it finally as an adult and just be like, oh, whoa, this is a fucking weird movie. <laughs> yes, completely agree. Um, Love the weirdness, love the boldness. This is, um, this is a... This is a killer. This is a killer release. I, I really like it. And it, they've gone to a great deal of effort not to emblazon Nazi paraphernalia in 2023 on the shelf, which is <laughs> is is fantastic. We have got a few movies left in this batch. We've only both watched one more of them. So I think we should get into our discussion of our final film that we're going to be covering on this episode, which is a movie called Fear is the Key. Look, I'm just driving through this clammy swamp you call a state and I want a drink. One more step and you're dead. Why don't you let me go? You don't need me anymore. Wake up, Mr. Talbot. I know you're frightened of me, but don't scream and don't move. You specialize in deep water settlements. We're looking for something now. I know it's none of my business, but uh, can you tell me what's down there? Well, let's say we're treasure hunting. Following the death of his family in an airplane crash, underwater salvage expert John Talbot hatches an elaborate scheme to bring those responsible to justice. His exploits attract the attention of the criminal mastermind behind his family's demise, who hires him to recover the valuables aboard a recently crashed landed plane. It's directed by Michael Tuchner. Um, it's produced by the great Alan Ladd Jr., you know, the, the king of mm -hmm. the Paramount resurgence at this time, written by Robert Carrington. Also stars Barry Newman and Susie Kendall in their sort of like the top line roles. Wow, this movie is such an exciting and weird and unexpected twisty thing. Lex, what did you think? This is far and away my favorite of the batch. Yeah. And 
up there with my great imprint discoveries. I'd never even heard of this movie till I had it in my hands. So I had zero expectation going in. And I don't even think it was in our list of like, okay, we should cover this one. I think it was one that for some reason we didn't get a disc in time. So we're like, okay, what else is in here? And we decided to put this one on. Brother, this is a ripper, Ripper. all capital letters. I (laughs) loved this movie. I think that it is such a pulpy genre piece of like absolutely grubby goodness. I think that this is so exciting. This movie basically kicks off, uh, it basically kicks off in like the middle of a mission, like completely in media res, where you're watching one man on a radio find out that his wife and child are dying in a plane crash. And then from then onwards, each scene follows a scene which would be completely unpredictable. Like I had no idea scene to scene where this movie was going. So I was just gripped on the edge of my seat to just even discover what's happening immediately following this weird, exciting, intriguing opening. It's followed by a weird little robbery scene. Then the, a 14 minute car chase for the ages. One of the, (laughs) Best car One of the best cars I've ever seen in a I film. Was, I'm so glad you said 14 minutes because I literally wrote it down in my notebook that's right next to me. I was like, how long, epic, thrilling, like not exaggerated, like the actual tangible brilliance of watching cars like navigate these really perilous situations. I'm like, this is one of the best car chases I think I've ever seen in a movie. It's sensational. Mm absolutely and ben kingsley pops up in this he's got freaking hair which is crazy (laughs) it is such an interesting weird it's a really weird thriller because it's quite funny it is super pulpy but i just found it beautiful i was so sucked in and engrossed by it the special features are fantastic as well we've got a commentary by kim newman one of the best film historians, best. in my opinion, in the whole world, with Sean Hogan, an author. And then you've got producer Gavrik Lozy uh, talking about producing the action for this movie. And then interviews with some cast and crew in a featurette as well called Be- Bayou to Bray. I also got to say the finale of this movie. Ugh. I cannot believe where this film begins and where it ends. And it feels cohesive and exciting throughout the whole thing this is like to me if there's a jb hi-fi sale and you've got like that extra 20 bucks to just go blind on something i absolutely recommend if you listen to this shit fear is the key is one to pick up i fucking love this movie so much it's like up there with my discoveries right now like for two guys who are so such chroniclers of like seventies new Hollywood grubby movies. And that like, that is our shit. Mm -hmm. Both of us completely unfamiliar with this movie. 
I'm so glad that we hadn't even talked about it before we recorded because I literally, I was like, this might be my absolute favorite. I have watched it. I, I would say I've watched it one and a half times because all I really wanted to watch was the car chase again. So I watched the movie. I loved it. And I was like, I want to see the sequence of events of these escalating crazy situations that lead us into mm-hmm. this car chase, that lead us into this like perilous situation after perilous situation, after trap, after, you know, falsehood, after like, seeing how this smuggler like essentially smuggled himself into the situation to find the people who are responsible for his family's death. It is absolutely sensational. And I just had such a great time watching it. And I'm like, so weird, so wonderful, so pulpy. Does it make complete sense? Does it take these huge narrative convoluted leaps? Yes. But is it horrendously entertaining while you're watching it? Yes. It's awesome. Fear is the key. It's yeah, bang, banger so of the batch. good, man. Banger of the batch. It's, it's like... All I can say is like this feels like the one of those movies that Quentin Tarantino is like, oh, oh you got to see this movie that no one's ever fucking heard of that he <laughs> saw like on a Sunday matinee when he was fourteen years old or something. <laughs> this is such a winner. I fucking I love Fear Is the Key. Like this is, it, it's just so surprising, and I I just I cannot overstate how surprising this movie is. It's really really cool. Yeah. And I really like Barry Newman in the lead role. He's only, he's like a, got an interesting career. Vanishing Point is the mm. movie that he made just before this. So he's probably best known for. But then he's in a few movies that I absolutely love, like the Limey, Bowfinger, Daylight, the Sylvester Stallone movie. It's like kind of a great showcase for whatever the fuck kind of charisma this guy has. <laughs> it just works. It's like, um, it's almost like, Ah, like TV star charisma, but in like the best way possible, like seventies TV star, like um, who directed yeah, the actually... Running Man is in Starsky and Hutch. Oh yes, yeah. Oh my god, oh my god, I've got to go and check out his name. I can't remember his name, but he's yes, Paul Michael Glazer. Michael. Paul Michael Glazer, yeah. Lex. He. That's who I thought the Barry Newman was for the first fifteen minutes of this movie. I'm like, is this Paul Michael Glazer? Like he just has that like. Mm. It was like that sex symbol that just like dressed cool and was in a cool thing and like women like liked his regular guyness. Like that's what he looks like. He's so unassuming. And that's, I think one of the winning ingredients of fear is the key is that it goes into all these escalating situations and he's just this like every man who is just in there right at the yeah. center of it. He's not like this sleazy guy. He's just, it's terrific. I, I man, I, I love this movie. This is so such a great watch. I, I had a really great time with it. Yeah, it's it's a ripper. I'm so glad we both got to watch it. Uh, that is Fear is the Key. Blake, what are the films that we didn't get a chance to touch on? I think there's only one or two more in this batch. Yeah, so we missed, um, in this batch, we missed Porkshop Hill, um, which is uh, a Gregory Peck starring uh, war film. Um, uh, and so we missed that one. We missed A Rage to Live, which is... Um, uh, which has one of our guys in it, Ben Gazzara, which um, is about a, a newspaper mm. heiress um, who, who can't... Uh, can't restrain herself with the uh, the the advances of young men. So we missed those two, um, but we got the rest of the batch. It's a banger of a batch, the December one. But like we said, for those peck and pie heads, you've got Killer Elite, you need the box. For people who are kind of wanting an, unex- an unexpected Brando wilderness movie, Burn is there. Um, if you are a fan of weird, like out of time 70s movies, maybe, you know, Eagle has landed, but I think pick of the batch. Sight Unseen, JB Hi-Fi Sale, Amazon Sale, 
you know, mm-hmm. wherever you are getting your imprints, fear is the key and absolute banger, banger release. Absolutely. And we'll be back with more episodes soon. We've got our February 2023 bundle that we've been making our way through. And that includes films like 1956's The Mountain, Something to Live For, Carrie, a 1950 film not related to the Stephen King novel, The Bad News Bears Go to Japan, rounding out the Bad News Bears trilogy for imprint films, Hurry Sundown, and a weird little Ellen Burstyn starring fantasy film called Resurrection from the year 1980 that she received an Oscar nomination for. I've seen that one and I cannot wait to talk to you about the rest. Blake, what have you got going on in the meantime? Uh, Lots happening at One Heat Minute Productions. We've got uh, the great Brandon Straysnick is joining us for our special One Heat Minute Presents essay series, like audio essays. He's doing Mm. one on Albert Payun, who's a great action filmmaker. Oh, I like Albert Payun, yeah. He's doing Albert Payun's Mean Guns, starring Christopher Lambert and Ice-T. That one's coming out very soon. Ice-T. We've got Pod Thomas Anderson. Our miniseries from Ethan Warren is coming out very shortly. And finally, thank you all for holding fast. The first episode of Podcaster and Commander is setting sail into your ears very, very shortly. So I'm very excited about that. And of course, our staples, Miami Nice, Imprint Companion, slash Blues Brothers, we're we're always there. But that's what's happening over at One Heat Minute Productions. And for you guys out there, I know you might uh, love this movie, The Incredible Blue Ruin, directed by Jeremy Saulnier and starring mm, Macon Blair. Love that movie. Came out 10 years ago. And myself, the great Vulture TV and film critic, Roxana Haddadi, spoke to Macon Blair and Jeremy Saulnier on a special bonus episode remembering that movie. So you guys should check that out. I'm really proud of that one. Um, So that's a a little mini series we're trying to do called The Decade Project, going back and looking at the movies that I guess I and some of my great friends really love from 10 years ago. And that was a super special one because Macon is a friend and... um, he just suddenly sprung Jeremy Saulnier onto us as well. So it was like a real party. So uh, I really uh, oh, suggest yeah. you guys check that out. That's awesome. Far out. I love that movie. Jeremy Saulnier, great filmmaker. Macon Blair, great actor, great filmmaker. Yes, totally great. Now tell me, Lex, what you've been up to. I know some of the things you've been up to. You've been sort of whiling away right now, but uh, very busily on uh, a new new stuff, new stuff coming up very soon. Yeah. I'm basically in the trenches right now making a lot of stuff, uh, like developing, working on some stuff. So the output is minimal, but I'd say the stuff, hang on, let me say, currently the output is minimal, but that's because I'm toiling away at some things that are much bigger that don't come out straight away. Uh, but Cameron and I just released an episode of Total Reboot where we talked about Creed 3 which is part of the iconic Rocky and Creed franchise that is obviously very near and dear to our hearts. Also, you can catch me on Charlie Pickering's TV show, The Weekly, where I'll be talking about the Oscars. Yes. Fantastic. The Night of Nights, the grand final for Cinephiles. I'll be covering (laughs) that over there. Uh, I mean, I haven't recorded it yet, so God forbid something doesn't happen between now and then (laughs) of me uh, doing it. But, um, you know, if I die, in between then and it coming up like please cut out me giving that plug because we have not filmed it yet anything will happen i might not make the plane to go down to record it so who knows oh well i'm hoping you make the flights i'm hoping that everything goes okay and if there's anyone that i want to hear 
Oscar prognosticating or talking about it is you, mate, mm-hmm. because most of it is so tired and officially the death penalty for the first person in the next month that says this next this such and such movie will be competing for the oscar next year is what i'm uh, suggesting wholeheartedly because we've had enough of oscars i'm looking forward to you having the definitive and final word on oscars for at least the next six months and of course people will know that i correctly predicted the best picture winner to be the fablemans (laughs) avatar the way of water elvis (laughs) All quiet on the Western Front. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, Women Talking. So you know that I've got my (laughs) finger on the pulse of what's going on with the Oscars. Uh, You can edit that, whichever one is the correct one. So uh, I'm sure you won't just leave that all in there to be put out as one big spiel. Definitely not. Definitely not. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Catch me and Alexi both on Instagram and on the Twitters as One Blake Minute or This Is Alexi. Get on to Total Reboot. Even though there's not much stuff coming up, there's exciting things to come. Jump onto One Eight Minute Productions where you're hearing this um, or at OHM Pods on Twitter as well. And uh, we'll uh, catch you on another Imprint Companion very soon. I'm Ethan Warren. I'm the author of the book, The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, coming April 2023 from Columbia University Press. And I'm here to invite you down to Hot Tracks Nightclub, onto the schooner Golden Fang, into the House of Woodcock and Fat Bernie's Pinball Palace, because coming next spring from One Heat Minute Productions, it's Pod Thomas Anderson. I have a love in my life that makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy! Starting now, you're not to blink. If you blink, we go back to the start. I cannot begin my day with a confrontation. This is faith that brought us together. This is faith. Throughout this nine-episode audio documentary series, you'll be hearing from me with some excerpts from my book, plus excerpts from my conversations with some fascinating guest voices, including film critics. My name is Ty Burr. I'm Cassidy Olson. My name is Ella Kemp. Actors, comedians, and podcasters. My name is Paul Russ. Hey, I'm John Gabris. I am Joe Perra. And so much more. We'll have an episode on each of your PTA favorites. That's right, we're talking Hard Eight. It's almost impossible to imagine the PTA of this century making anything that looks like this. We're talking Boogie Nights. Fuck, it's about family and how you don't find family via birth. We're talking Magnolia. I went into the theater, one person. I came out of the theater, a different person and a different moviegoer. We're talking Punch Drunk Love. We're kind of like a sweet romance story, but the anger that is underneath is so funny. We're talking There Will Be Blood. And you're not prepared for how good it is and how cool it is and how amazing it looks. We're talking The Master. There are so many interpretations you could bring to this movie. It's that dense. It's that ambitious. We're talking Inherent Vice. It's this layer and layer and layer of both indecipherable corruption, but then also like that corruption can be funny. We're talking Phantom Thread. Rarely has it been the case where I have felt that I was in masterful hands from the very first shot. And we're wrapping it all up with a slice of licorice pizza. How do you take the statements of your youth and then how does that 
fundamentally stay the same, but also kind of soften or change. So subscribe to One Heat Minute Productions now on your podcasting app of choice. Next spring, you'll be getting all nine weekly episodes right there. And in the meantime, if you pre-order the cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha today, wherever you get your books, then you'll be a star, a big, bright, shining star.